We now start with questions to Prime Minister Bimapalome. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, today I'm wearing a purple tie in recognition of the International Day of People with Disabilities this coming Friday. In July, we published the UK's first national disability strategy to help create a society that works for everybody. Mr Speaker, I know that the thoughts of the whole House will be with those continuing to face disruption caused by Storm Arwin. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, will update the House on the continuing response to Storm Arwin after these questions. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister and I have a shared commitment to protecting our natural environment and improving our biodiversity across the country. Indeed, it's why I'm campaigning to extend the Chilterns area of natural beauty towards the southwest of Hitchin. Would my right honourable friend set out how he plans to strengthen the protections for our countryside, whilst also ensuring that housing developments are both green and sustainable for the long term? Prime Minister. Uh, Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I can tell my honourable friend that Natural England is considering an extension of the Chilterns area of outstanding uh, natural beauty, and I'm sure they will listen to his passionate appeal very carefully. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his words on disability and the victims of extreme weather? Can I also mark World AIDS Day? Um, Extraordinary advances mean people living with HIV on effective treatment can now enjoy normal life expectancy and are no longer at risk of passing on the virus. It's within our hands to end new transmissions in the UK this decade. We must do so, Mr Speaker. As millions of people were locked down last year, was a Christmas party thrown in Downing Street for dozens of people on December the 18th? Mr Speaker, uh, what I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that that all guidance was followed uh, completely during number 10. And can I I recommend uh, to the right honourable gentleman that he does uh, the same uh, with his own Christmas party, which he's advertised uh, for December the 15th, to which unaccountably he's failed to invite the the deputy leader, uh, Mr Speaker. Nice try, but that won't work. Mr Speaker, the, the, the defence seems, seems to be no rules were broken. Well, I've got the rules that were in place at the time Prime Minister of this party. They're very, they're very clear, Mr Speaker. You, you, must, you must not have a work Christmas lunch or party. Does the Prime Minister really expect the country to believe that while people were banned from seeing their loved ones at Christmas last year, it was fine for him and his friends to throw a boozy party in Downing Street? Prime Minister! Mr Speaker, I've said said what I've said about uh, number 10 and uh, uh, the events of of 12 months ago, uh, but since he asked about what we're asking the the country to do this year, Mr Speaker, which I think is, uh, frankly, a a more relevant uh, consideration, uh, 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 the, the important thing to do, Mr Speaker, 
is not only to follow the guidance which we have, uh, which we have set out, but also when it comes to dealing with the Omicron uh, variant, to make sure that, as we've said, that you wear a mask in, uh, on public transport and in, uh, in, in shops, Mr Speaker, and that you self-isolate if you come into contact uh, with, somebody, uh, with somebody who has uh, Omicron, Mr Speaker. And above all, what we're doing is strengthening our measures at the borders, uh, but particularly, and I think this will be uh, very valuable for everybody to hear, uh, get your booster, Mr yeah. Speaker. I know, that, I know the right honourable gentleman uh, is eligible uh, for his booster. I'm not going to ask him, Mr Speaker, since I'm forbidden to ask him uh, questions, uh, but I hope very much uh, that he's had it. Well, I can tell the Prime Minister above mine. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says uh, we should concentrate on what he's asking the country to do. We're asking the country to follow the rules. Yep. Now, the Prime, Minister, the Prime Minister doesn't deny there was a Downing Street Christmas party last year. He's not denied it. He says... He says no rules were broken. Both of those things can't be true, Prime Minister. He's taking the British public for fools. And as for following the rules, Prime Minister, it might be good just to look behind you when it comes to the question of masks. As ever, one rule for them, another rule for everybody else. Mr Speaker... At the last election, the Prime Minister promised to build 40 new hospitals. 40 new hospitals. Page 10 of his manifesto. With waiting lists so high, Prime Minister, it's a very, very important commitment. Now, the Cabinet Office and the Treasury have checked on progress. And it's reported that they've reached a damning conclusion. I know the Chancellor would have seen that. They've concluded that the project needs a red flag because it's unachievable. Prime Minister, is that true? Prime Minister, no, Mr Speaker, uh, we're getting on with... He, he plays politics and asks for frivolous questions, Mr Speaker. We're getting on with delivering on the people's priorities. And, and we're, putting, we're putting record investments into the NHS on top of the, the $34 billion with which we began and then the $97 billion that we put in to fight COVID. Uh, we, we, Mr Speaker, are helping to build another 40 new hospitals uh, with a, an, an injection of £36 billion pounds of investment, Mr Speaker which that party voted against. Well, this is strange, Mr Speaker, because the government hasn't been denying the reports about the red flag, and they haven't done since, but now the Prime Minister does. There's obviously, there's obviously some confusion on these benches over whether the Cabinet Office and the Treasury think he's on course to break yet another promise, this time on new building of hospitals. So he can clear this up this afternoon. If he's so confident in his answer, why doesn't he publish the progress report in full and let us all see it? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, what we're doing is not only building uh, 40 new hospitals, but we are also... Uh, uh, but we are also, but we are also, and it, it's incredible uh, that we've been able to keep going throughout the pandemic. But we're also making record investments in our NHS. Yes, it is, and we're also making record investments in our NHS. We have more doctors, more nurses working in our NHS than at any time in the history of that magnificent organisation. Rather than, rather than running down what they're trying to do, Mr Speaker, casting doubt on their efforts, he should get behind them and he should, and particularly, he should support our booster campaign. Yeah. 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 
Well, Mr Speaker, there we have it. I deny, Prime Minister, I deny my hospital building programme has been flagged red as unachievable, but I don't have the confidence to to publish the report. Mr Speaker, the more we look at this promise, the murkier it gets. I've got a document here sent by the Department of Health to the NHS. It's called the New Hospital Programme Communications Playbook. I kid you not. It offers, it offers advice, Mr Speaker, to make it easier to talk about the programme. Now, you might think that everyone knows what a new hospital is. I certainly thought I knew what a new hospital is before I read this document. But this guide instructs everybody to describe refurbishments and alterations on existing hospitals as new hospitals. We can all agree. We can all agree that refurbishments are a very good thing, but they're not new hospitals. So, Prime Minister, how many of the 40 are fix-up jobs on existing hospitals, and how many are actually the new hospitals he promised? Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, you obviously don't always go around building on greenfield sites. What we are doing is what we are doing is massive. You, you rebuild hospitals, and that is what we have said for the last two and a half years, Mr Speaker. It is the biggest programme of hospital building this country has ever undertaken. It's been made possible by this people's government, and it's in addition to what we're doing with the community diagnostics hubs, Mr Speaker, and it's, ad- it's in addition to what we're doing in investing in our NHS. And I, I said it once, but I'll say it, say it again. They had the opportunity to vote for that £36 billion. They turned it down, Mr Speaker. We're getting on with the people's priorities. They're playing politics. And no wonder so many Tory donors paid so much for that wallpaper last year. It, it, it probably told me it's building a new flat. It's the same old story from this Prime Minister. Week in, week out, defending the indefensible and broken promises. His mates were found to be corrupt. He tried to get them off the hook. Downing Street throws parties during lockdown. He says, not a problem. He promised there'd be no tax rises. Then he put up tax. He promised to be a rail revolution in the north. Then he cancelled the trains. He promised no one would have to sell their home for care. Then along came his working class dementia tax. He promised 40 new hospitals. And even if you count the paint jobs, his own watchdog says he can't deliver it. Isn't this the truth, Mr Speaker, that any promises from this Prime Minister aren't worth the manifesto paper they're written on? The Right Honourable Gentleman dribbles on, dribbles on irrelevantly about, uh, about war and parties, uh, playing politics. Uh, and, and by the way, on, on that, I'm told, I'm told that when the Deputy Leader and, and Shadow Secretary of State for the Future of Work was told that she wasn't invited, she denounced it, she denounced it as idiotic, childish and pathetic, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, they're, getting on, they're getting on with factional... They're getting on with factional infighting. We are delivering for the people of this country. Today, 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 cutting tax for the lowest paid people in this country as a result of our universal, universal credit 
changes, 1.9 million families getting £1,000 more in their, in their pay packets this year. The biggest programme of rail infrastructure this century, Mr Speaker. Three new high-speed lines and we're fixing social care. They have no plan whatever, Mr Speaker. And don't forget, don't forget, their, their resort to absolutely every problem is either to take this country back into lockdown or to open up to uncontrolled immigration, Mr Speaker. That is, that is, that is their approach. We are delivering on the people's priorities and and we have more people in work now as a result of the balanced and proportionate approach that we are taking than we had before the pandemic began. And if we listened to him, Mr Speaker, if we listened to Captain Hindsight, we'd all still be in lockdown. And that is the truth. to you, Mr Rosendale. If you don't, come on, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister will know that we will not be able to stop the endless waves of illegal, illegal migrants crossing the English Channel until we break free from the constraints of the European Convention on Human Rights, which impedes our ability to tackle this tragic situation and protect even the most violent criminals from being deported. So, will the Prime Minister agree with me that it is time to take back control and fulfil our manifesto commitment in 2015 to get rid of Labour's Human Rights Act and bring a British Bill of Rights? Yes, Mr. Speaker, I thank my, uh, my run-off but we will certainly uh, review the human rights system. But in the meantime, there is something we can do, or we can all do, uh, on next Tuesday and Wednesday, Mr. Speaker, because our Borders Bill is coming back to this House after long gestation, and it gives us the power to make the distinction at last between illegal and legal migrants uh, to this country. It gives us the power to turn, gives Border Force the power to turn people back from this, uh, from, uh, at sea, Mr. Speaker. And, Mr. Speaker, it gives us the power, it gives us the power to screen people and send them uh, for, for, uh, for screening overseas rather than in this country. Now, uh, will that part, I'm not going to ask them, I'm going to tell them, it'd be a great thing, Mr. Speaker, if the party opposite backed our borders bill and undermined the criminals. Give the SNP, Ian Blackburn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister on disability? And, of course, uh, our thoughts are very much with all of those that are recovering from Stall Urban. And with the Leader of the Opposition, of course, we commemorate World AIDS Day. And I'm sure, Mr. Speaker, that the thoughts of yourself in this House will be with the family and friends of Siobhan Cathigan, the Scotland rugby player, aged 26, who unfortunately died over the course of the weekend, having had won 19 caps for Scotland. Mr Speaker, it is deeply regrettable that once again that we're forced to spend so much time in this House discussing the Prime Minister's misconduct. But when the person in charge so blatantly breaks the rules, it needs to be talked about. Last Christmas, the Prime Minister hosted a packed party in Downing Street an event that broke lockdown rules, rules that everyone else was expected to follow. Now, the Prime Minister might be denying it, 
but I've spoken to the Mirror newspaper this morning and they are confirming what happened and they have legal advice on potential illegality. At a time when public health messaging is so vital, how are people possibly expected to trust a Prime Minister when he thinks it's one rule for him and one rule for everybody else? Mr Speaker, I I think they should should concert their line of attack uh, more closely. I've said uh, before that he's talking total nonsense. I think he would have been better off, frankly, saying something about the victims of Storm Arwen in Scotland. And and, and what we want to do... uh, Well, I'm I'm afraid afraid if I didn't didn't hear it, he was was drowned out by his supporters. Uh, But uh, I think... I think, I think what we need to do is work together, uh, the, the government of the UK working with the Scottish authorities to help those people get their power back, and that's what we're doing. Ian Blackford, this graceful answer, and clearly the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister can't even listen because I mentioned Storm Arwen. Mr Speaker, the real reason why all this matters is because we find ourselves at another very difficult moment in this pandemic. This is at a time where leadership matters when truth matters and when trust really matters. Only this morning, leaked SAGE advice confirms that the UK government's current international travel restrictions will identify significantly fewer cases. That is exactly the same advice that the Prime Minister received from the First Ministers of Scotland and Wales on Monday, and he has ignored that advice. Since then, other countries, like Ireland and the US, are moving rapidly on international travel to protect their people. So will the Prime Minister finally convene a four-nation COBRA meeting to tighten travel restrictions, or will he continue to ignore the Scottish Government, the Welsh Government and his own SAGE advisers and imperil the health of the public of these islands? Prime Minister. I thank thank the right honourable gentleman, and, and of course we want to work closely with uh, with him, and with, there will be uh, opportun- abundant opportunities today in the weeks ahead to, to, to concert our activity. But he's, he's simply wrong in what he says about uh, the, the steps that the government has taken uh, to prevent the seeding of this, of this variant from abroad. We were the, this country was actually the first to respond, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, for the ten countries that are most likely to seed new variant, to seed Omicron uh, in this country, we've put them on the red list. Uh, Mr. Speaker, so they have not only pre-departure tests, they, but they are also they are also quarantined, Mr. Speaker. And and uh, and he is, he is, I have to say that he is he is not right in what he says. And every every other country in the world, 100 percent, 100 percent. I don't mind if he shouts, Mr. Speaker. I will t- tell him very calmly and, and quietly. 100 percent of the passengers arriving from every other country in the world must take a PCR test, and they cannot get out of quarantine, Mr Speaker, unless they test negative. Those are balanced and proportionate measures designed to protect the British people from uh, the Omicron variant, and that's the right approach to take. John Petrose. Mr Speaker, Britain has some of the most unaffordable childcare in the developed world, which reduces opportunities for working families, particularly single parents, deepens gender pay gaps, and makes levelling up much harder. So will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss the proposal in my just-published policy paper, Poverty Trapped, for an immediate review to design out these internationally uncompetitive costs while still delivering a safe and enriching level of care for our children too? 
Prime Minister. I, I thank my right honourable friend. He is completely right about the importance of, uh, of childcare and the, the transformative uh, influence it can have, and that's why uh, we've spent uh, £3.5 billion in each of the last uh, three years on free childcare entitlements, uh, particularly uh, for the most disadvantaged. But I'm, I, I'm always happy to meet uh, my right honourable friend and, and to discuss uh, his ideas further. Ed Davey. Speaker, farmers uh, across our country are crucial to our nation's prosperity, shown once again through the pandemic. But many are now on the brink. Farmers across the country, in villages like Hodnett, Bastchurch, Woodseaves and Counts others, are about to see their payments cut by at least 5% starting this very month. The Prime Minister promised a new support system rewarding more sustainable farming Yet in the meantime, he seems prepared to see many British farms go bankrupt. There's an easy solution, Mr Speaker. Stop cutting the current system's essential payments until the new scheme is fully rolled out. Will the Prime Minister do that and help our struggling farmers before it's too late? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I think British food and farming does an absolutely outstanding job and it is growing uh, the whole time. Last night I met, I met representatives of the UK food and farming uh, industry which uh, we support and we continue to support uh, with, uh, uh, with the same level of payments, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but what we're also doing is opening up new opportunities for them around the world. And I can, I can tell him that in every single embassy now there is a dedicated uh, expert on, on supporting UK food and farming exports to the rest of the world which supports 4 million jobs in this country, 4 million jobs in this country, and earns this country £21 billion of revenue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, More needs to be done to tackle the people-trafficking gangs that exploit migrants across Europe promising to get into this country. But does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is totally unacceptable that companies like Facebook allow those smugglers to offer their services on their platforms, not only routes into the country, but also uh, selling them forged British papers in order to aid their access? Does he agree with me that when we pass this House, passes the online safety bill, we'll have the power to do more to make companies like Facebook take down content that promotes illegal activity? Minister. I, I thank uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman. He's absolutely right that uh, too many of these gangs are using social media, and that's why the online harms bill is so important, and it will indeed be of assistance to us in taking down that kind of material. Emma Harvey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Women have been left with internal damage and pain that they describe as being like razor blades inside them. Many have lost their careers and some have even lost their lives. It is impossible to know exactly how many women are left suffering. So why will the Prime Minister not give these mesh-damaged women the redress that they were recommended in the Cumberledge Report? Uh, I'm very grateful to her, and she, she raises uh, uh, an, an extremely important issue and one that I know uh, has caused uh, a, a phenomenon that has caused huge distress to many, many women in this country. We published the, the Cumberledge uh, report. If there's anything more that we can do, I'm certainly willing uh, to look at it. I'm, I'm grateful to her for raising it. Levelling up agenda has already changed so many areas of our country for the better. Uh, and in my constituency in Worksop, particularly our town centre, is in desperate need of regeneration and to finally solve our flooding problems. But unfortunately, my council in Bassett Law missed the deadline for the latest round of grants. Oh! Oh! 
Labour on council. What can this government do to help support areas like mine who have struggled with their bids in order to make sure they are successful the next time around? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thank you very I thank my honourable friend very much. Well, the step number one is to vote out those dozy Labour councillors. Mr. Speaker, uh, but I can tell him uh, that the, the, the thank you for the excellent representation uh, he gives to Bassett Law, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I can tell him the second round of bidding for the Levelling Up Fund will open in the spring of next year. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Between 2010 and 2019, West Midlands Police lost 2,221 officers, while the force should receive an additional 1,200 new recruits by 2023 via the Police Uplift Programme. That still leaves a shortfall of 1,000 officers. This lack of frontline police has left the force stretched and under significant pressure, with officers actually telling me there are simply insufficient resources to investigate every crime. Will the Prime Minister commit to providing West Midlands Police with a fairer funding deal to ensure the force can return officer numbers back to 2010 levels? Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, I, I thank her for drawing attention and I, and she's, and I, thank her, I thank the police officers in the West Midlands uh, but I thank her for drawing attention to what we're doing to increase the number of police officers because uh, we, are, we, no, we, are on, we are on track uh, of our 20,000 that I pledged on the steps of Downing Street uh, two and a half years ago, Mr. Speaker, we've already recruited another 11,000. And, and, and I'm proud to say that our police officer workforce is more representative of the whole of this country, with more women, more people from ethnic minorities than ever before. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, the, uh, first, the Chief Minister of Gibraltar, the Honourable Fabian Picardo, appeared before the European Scrutiny Committee and gave evidence about the continuing negotiations between Gibraltar and the European Union on their future relationship. During the course of his evidence, the, first, the Chief Minister made clear uh, that his ambition was that Gibraltar's future should be, as he put it, British, British, British. Yeah. Can my uh, right honourable friend say what the government is doing to support the First Minister to achieve that aim, and in particular, to exclude any role for the European Court of Justice. Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I thank my right honourable friend, and frankly, I can't, I can't really improve on the verdict of uh, my friend uh, Fabian Picardo, the Chief Minister of, uh, of Gibraltar. Uh, Gibraltar is British, 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 and will remain so. And by the way, I, mean, I, think I, do, I see no future role for the European Court of Justice. Christine Jardine. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. My constituency of Edinburgh West are some of the most polluted streets in our country. An estimated 1 in 29 deaths in Edinburgh is related to air pollution and we don't meet WHO guidelines. So will the Prime Minister meet with me and discuss whether his government can support my private member's bill to tackle that issue, bring us into line and let us all breathe a little easier? I thank her for what she, uh, she, the issue she mentions. It's incredibly important, uh, but that's why uh, we're moving now to uh, all-out all uh, electric vehicles across the whole of the country, uh, faster than any other European country, and our clean air strategy has been praised by the, the World Health Organization as an example for the rest of the world to follow. And we'll be setting out uh, our evidence-based approach and the targets uh, that we're, we're setting. But of course, I'll be very happy to make sure that she meets uh, the relevant minister uh, to set out her case. David Davis. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last month, the drug company Pfizer announced a successful trial of a new treatment called uh, Paxlovid. The trial showed the drug to be roughly 90% successful at stopping death or better, 
the vaccine strategy today is an enormous success, but it leads to a never-ending biological arms race against the mutating virus. As a supplement to the vaccine strategy, this treatment will allow governments around the world to avoid the need for future emergency restrictions. What's the government doing in the short term to secure supplies of this revolutionary treatment and in the long term to enable factories to be built here to produce it in Britain? Prime Minister. Uh, I, I thank him very much, and he's spot on. Uh, of course, the, uh, the rollout of Paxlovid uh, within the UK, uh, within the NHS, will depend on approval by uh, the NHRA, but the government has, uh, as a precaution, already uh, invested in hundreds of thousands of courses of that drug. Jessica Moore. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Wales has 11% of the UK rail network, yet only receives 2% of UK rail enhancement funding, and as reported in Wales Online, will be denied billions of consequential funding from HS2. So having under-delivered on rail in the north, having under-delivered on rail in Wales, why should anyone trust this government to deliver on its promises? Yeah. I'm afraid she's completely failed to, uh, to look at what uh, Sir Peter Hendy uh, set out in his Union Connectivity Review, a fantastic agenda for change and improvement, uh, particularly in Wales, and particularly in, on the, the North Welsh uh, corridor, where I think the railway links uh, deserve to be improved and will be improved under this government. Tom Randall. Mr Speaker, getting investment into Gedling is important. And at previous PMQs, I put aside my political differences with Labour-run Gedling Borough Council to champion its levelling-up fund bid, which, like other funding bids it's made, has, was sadly unsuccessful. So does my right honourable friend agree with me it's important that councils like Gedling now take stock and learn from, the, from this experience and can you confirm that help from government will be available to do that, so that in future, hopefully, Gunning and other councils will be able to make more successful bids? Yeah. Uh, yes, of course, Mr Speaker. We're very happy to help uh, uh, Gedling and, uh, and other Labour-run councils to get their act together where necessary and, and, to, and, to put those, and to put those bids in. And just to remind him, just to remind him, uh, more levelling-up fund uh, bids uh, come due uh, in the spring of next year. And I, I wish Gedling well in their future bids. Uh, Mr Speaker, my grandfather, along with thousands of others, came to this country 70 years ago working seven days a week in squalid conditions to help rebuild this country. Yet now the Home Secretary's Nationality and Borders Bill means she can revoke our British citizenship and deport us for even the most minor wrongdoings. Given the government's and the Home Office's horrific track record with their treatment of minorities, the hostile environment and the Windrush scandals, let me ask the Prime Minister the burning question that is now on the lips of everyone from a BAME background right across the country. When is he coming for me? I think that I think that the right, I think the honourable gentleman opposite uh, should look at the Conservative front bench today, and he should withdraw what he's just said, uh, Mr. Speaker. He should withdraw it. It's funny, what he said is absolutely shameful, and he knows full well the Borders Bill does nothing of the kind. It helps. It helps us to fight the evil gangs who are predating on people's willingness to cross the channel in unseaworthy boats. And I would have thought, Mr. Speaker, that a sensible Labour Party would support it. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This Saturday is Small Business Saturday. And I'm, I'm 
proud to represent some fantastic local businesses like Kayser, Grantham, the Stanford Notebook Company and the Bourne Bookshop. Yeah. This government has provided unprecedented support throughout the pandemic. Can the Prime Minister assure me that his commitment to our high streets will continue long into the future? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. I, I thank my, uh, my honourable friend for all the support he gives to Grantham and, and Stanford and I can tell him uh, that Small Business Saturday is receiving huge support from the, uh, from the government. We had a, 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 a kind of festival last night to celebrate it in, uh, in Downing Street and I encourage everybody to get out this Saturday, uh, Mr Speaker, and uh, Safely with your mask on, Mr. Speaker, when you're in your in your shop. Uh, but that's that that should be no that should be no uh, inhibition on people buying in their shops up and down this country. Final question, Ian Burke. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Next week, the 97th victim of the Ellsworth tragedy will receive the freedom of Liverpool. Andrew Devine passed away earlier this year, age 55, having defied the odds to survive the injuries he sustained at Ellsworth, age 22. A coroner's inquest in Liverpool in July ruled that he was unlawfully killed as a result of the disaster, making him the 97th victim. Following my tabling last week of an early day motion on Hillsborough and a national curriculum, will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me to discuss the rollout of the Hillsborough Real Truth Legacy Project, including the addition of the Hillsborough disaster to the national curriculum, and help? to consign to history the narrative of lies and smears peddled by some elements of the media and establishments over the last 32 years through the power of education. Prime Minister. I I thank the Honourable Gentleman for the powerful point that he has just made, because even though 32 years have passed since that uh, devastating tragedy, I know that the the, the wounds uh, remain uh, very raw. In, in, in Liverpool. And what I can say to him is that the government is uh, committed, as he knows, to continuing engagement uh, with, the, uh, with the families of the, of the bereaved and to making sure that the lessons from that tragedy uh, continue to be properly learned and that the victims of, Hill, of Hillsborough are, are never forgotten, Mr Speaker. But I, and I'm also happy uh, to make sure that he meets the, the relevant uh, minister to take forward uh, an agenda I think is shared by people up and down this country. Yeah.